Well, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you have joined with us here at Celebration Church. We are in the book of Genesis. And uh, on Wednesday nights, we go through the Bible uh, books one verse at a time. We are almost at the end of Genesis. Uh, we are in chapter 49. We have just uh, read last week how um, finally Jacob, Israel, comes and discovers that Joseph is in fact alive despite what he'd been told by the brothers, and he was so blessed by it all. And then eventually, um, uh, in his final days here, now he's getting ready to uh, speak a blessing on the 12 sons. But he starts out by speaking a blessing on the uh, two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, and actually raises them up in status. He says, they shall be like my sons. So they basically are... uh, counted along with the 12 tribes. Um, and uh, he blesses the younger one over the older one. Remember, he switches his hands and prays a blessing over them. Kind of a pattern here. That's what happened in his life. Remember, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the younger one. He got the blessing over his older brother. So he does the same thing for his grandsons. Uh, but uh, not only blesses the younger one over the older one. And in fact, the younger tribe did succeed more than the older one. But actually raised them up. And he says, they shall be as, as my sons. So, real interesting. So anyway, here we have in chapter 49. Now, uh, Jacob is getting ready to die. And uh, so Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. This was uh, uh, traditional for them now. The Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob would take the sons and speak over them a blessing, prophesy over them. Uh, their words had great power. Uh, in influencing God's hand in their lives, uh, which is an interesting uh, word to those of us who are fathers. What we say to our children apparently has some degree of impact. Now, I don't know if it has quite the impact that Jacob had, but certainly the pattern is here that when the fathers would speak favorably of the sons, the sons were in fact blessed. When the fathers would speak evil or disparagingly about the sons, and they were at, at worst cursed. And uh, certainly an encouragement to us as men to speak blessings over our children, encouragement to our children, freedom to our children, to build confidence in our children. Uh, it's at times a real challenge because they drive us crazy. And, uh, and, and it's easy to get angry and lash out at your own kids. And, and it's amazing uh, if, if I were just to go around the room here uh, t- tonight uh, or those watching by, by video and, and just ask the stories of what impression do you have of your father? How did, how did he uh, communicate his opinion of you? Uh, it would break your hearts to hear the stories just in this room of uh, people who were raised with their fathers telling them they were losers, that they were stupid, that they were disappointments, that they were failures. Uh, indeed, a lot of adults uh, struggle all their lives, either trying to please their fathers or to run from the words of their fathers or whatever. Don't, don't lay that kind of weight on your children. Speak encouragingly to your children. You say, well, that, that would take faith. Well, that's okay. Speak as men of God and speak blessings over your children and encourage them. And because uh, it makes a huge difference, it's quite freeing. 
having said that, uh, we're about to read jo- Jacob's words, and uh, in Jacob's case, he's about to speak over his children. It's not all blessings. Some of them he curses. Actually, the first one he curses, but there's a reason for it. Um, and we will read here. He says, Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, my first sign, the first sign of my strength. The first boy he had. Yeah, I'm a man now. I'm a man. I'm a papa. All right? You're excelling in honor, excelling in power. And then he turns around and curses him. It says, turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. Why? For you went up into onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. You remember that little verse that we read is several chapters earlier, where it just makes a statement that Reuben had sex with one of uh, uh, Jacob's concubines. It wasn't his mom, obviously. It was just disgusting enough, but it was a stepmom. That, that is disgusting enough. Uh, and it never says anything more about it. And it just says uh, Jacob knew about it. Everyone didn't say anything, but he says something now. And, uh, and he speaks... This, uh, this curse on him. Certainly quite the shock, I'm sure. Reuben wasn't expecting that at this time. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in anger. These are the guys who got together and killed all those guys. <laughs> a pretty funny story, I thought. Anyway, and hamstrung oxen as they please, so, so he wasn't really happy with them. Cursed be their anger so fierce, their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. So the two, three first brothers aren't faring well here in the final words. Judah, finally, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter, the ruler of the king, will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs. This is a prophecy of the Messiah. Who is to come? Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. They refer to him as the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is Jesus, okay? As the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun will live by the seashore and will become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon. Issachar is a raw-boned donkey. Kind of odd. Uh, anyway, a, a donkey lying down between two saddlebags. When he sees how good his resting place uh, is, his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. Dan will provide justice for his people. Actually, we will read. You will read later in the uh, Old Testament during the time of the judges uh, that one of the significant tribes that would rise up for justice for the nation was from. From Dan, the tribe of Dan. So he will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a serpent along the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles backwards. He's going to be a butt kicker. All right? Um, by the way, notice this, some of these terms. You know, one is a lion. The other one is a donkey. Uh, you know, this one's a snake. Um, uh, I look for your deliverance, O Lord. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. Indeed, where Dan uh, lived, they were often attacked, but he fought back. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. 
Naphtali is a doe set free. Now we have another animal that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph, and then he speaks a big blessing on Joseph. Of course, Joseph was always his favorite. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall with bitterness. Archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. Probably talking about his brothers. But his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the mountains of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of of the prince among his brothers. And Benjamin, final analogy, is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, in the evening he divides the plumber. The plumber. <laughs> the plunder. <laughs> he does not chop up plumbers. Uh, all of these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving them the blessing appropriate to them. Oh, some of those didn't sound like much of a blessing to me, but anyway, you get the idea. Uh, then he gave them these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Talking about I'm going to die. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, the cave of the field. Anyways, he's talking about back where Abraham was buried. Abraham and Isaac. And now Jacob wants to be buried uh, back with them. Uh, verse 31. There Abraham and his wife Sarah are buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebecca were buried and there I buried Leah. Uh, the field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. And when Jacob had finished giving his instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. <sighs> he dies. So Joseph throws himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming back in those days. The Egyptians, by the way, were very good at it, as you can tell from Egyptian mummies and that sort of thing that they had. Uh, and the Egyptians mourned for him for 70 days. There was a time of mourning for seven days out of respect for Joseph, who they esteemed so highly. They mourn 70 days for his father. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, please or speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him my father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. So he's asking them, let me go up and bury my father and then I'll come back. And Pharaoh said, go ahead. Go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and all Pharaoh's officials accompanied him. I mean, quite the dignitaries, all this, all the dignitaries of the court, all the dignitaries of Egypt. This was a big, major deal. Again, remember, Joseph was the second most powerful man in the world, highly esteemed by all. Besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household, all those dignitaries that came along with them, only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing, threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly, loudly and bitterly. And there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. So he got to a certain point, and they all started just wailing and crying and mourned for another seven days. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor, 
of Atad, they said, the Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why the place near the Jordan is called Abel Mezarim, which means mourning of the Egyptians. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the land, in the field of Machbulachal, whatever his name is, near Mamre, which Abraham had bought as a burial place from Ephraim the Hittite along with the field. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all of the others who had gone with him to bury his father. <sighs> all right, going on. Now, when the Joseph's brothers saw that Pop was dead, they freaked. Because they were pretty sure the only fundamental motivating reason why Joseph had been nice to them and forgiven them and cut them a break. Remember, these jerks were going to kill him and then instead of killing him, sells him off as a slave and he enters 13 years of hell. All because of his family, his brothers. And his brothers were quite worried about it. And they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, uh, look, dad left these instructions before he died. Now, we don't know if dad did or not, but uh, he certainly felt motivated to say it, if nothing else. Uh, dad said this, uh, this is why you're to say to Joseph, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. It's honestly, it's just what dad wanted. Honestly, he's got to just, just, just refer to dad. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God, your father. When their message came to him, Joseph saw it. He was heartbroken and he wept. And his brothers then came and threw themselves down before them and said, We are your slaves. We're your slaves. Now, here's the deal. Joseph legitimately, even after all the pain, all the anguish, the terrible ways in which he was treated, chose to forgive. It's one of the reasons God was able to bless the boy so much. Remember, if you cannot forgive, you're in a bad place. You have got to walk in forgiveness. This is Christianity 101. I am stunned by the amount of people who call themselves Christians, who keep record of what other people did to me and when they did it, and I'll never forgive them. And they call themselves Christians. And I, I just honestly don't know what delusional world they are living in. You cannot do that. Jesus says, if you will not forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will not forgive you. Ouch. You don't want to be in a place where God isn't forgiving you of what you've done wrong. You're going to be in a very bad place on judgment day. Anyway, Joseph did what a righteous man should do and forgave his brothers. But it's interesting here. The brothers could not forgive themselves. That's the other side of forgiveness. On the one hand, you have people who will contemplate or grasp the idea that God will forgive them but they cannot forgive themselves they can hurt someone else and receive the forgiveness from that person but they cannot forgive themselves and this is an important part of this you've got to be able to walk in your own forgiveness I know some things we've done have been absolutely horrible terrible things uh, in our lives mean things that we've said and words we wish you could get back and 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 some of us a lot worse have done some very very hurtful and harmful things hopefully uh, you know not all of us but it wouldn't matter even if all of us have done that the reality is God forgives us and if the people we've hurt have forgiven us it's amazing how many people cannot forgive themselves and they're constantly 
beating themselves up and constantly reminding themselves and others of what they've done. And uh, you, you need to let that go. Forgiveness, again, is really... A, uh, you've heard me talk about this, but forgiveness has to do more with your tongue than whether or not you can remember and whether or not you feel anything. It's tied right to your tongue. If you're still talking about it, you haven't forgiven. If you're still rehearsing what somebody else did to you, somebody else did to you, that guy did to me, you haven't forgiven. You're in bad shape. And if you haven't forgiven yourself, you know how you can tell? You're always talking about it. I did this. You know, I was terrible. I shouldn't have done that. I did this horrible thing. You need to hush up. So I can't control. I can't, forget, I can't forget. It doesn't matter what you can forget. Well, I still feel the pain. It doesn't matter what you feel. What you can control. You can't control this. You can control your mouth. Hush. Stop. Stop talking about either what someone else has done or some failure you have committed. Hush. Stop it. Okay? Let it go. So these brothers, they had a hard time and they couldn't forgive themselves. They fall down. We're your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Man, talk about a guy who could see the positive side of life. God intended it for good to accomplish what is not being done, the saving of many lives, so that don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Then Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, that's his son, and also the children of Machar, son of Manasseh, were placed at the birth, uh, at birth on Joseph's knees. So he gets to actually enjoy not only his children and his grandchildren, but his great-grandchildren as well. Very blessed man. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land. Come to your aid. See, he knew something was about to happen. God will come to your aid. Remember, they spoke of this. They were going into slavery for 400 years. Ugh, how miserable. But he says, God will come to your aid and bring you to the land that he has promised. That's why we call it the promised land. All right? This is what God promised to these guys. He promised on oath. He promised it to Abraham. He said, Abraham, everywhere you go, I'm going to give this land to you. He promised it to Isaac, the same thing, and he repeated the same promise to Jacob. Over and over again, this land will belong to you. Although there was a great time between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. Most people, even in our personal lives, we break down in the lag time between the promise and the answer to the promise. Because when the answer doesn't come as quickly as we wish, we go, ah, and we give up. Do not give up. When God promises, he will deliver. He promises. Now, it won't always be in your timetable. In fact, I pretty much can guarantee you it won't. Because <laughs> most people's timetable is right. No! God help me right now! That's the way we act. And most of us, we don't get those answers right away. We get discouraged and we give up faith. We give up hope. But he shows that God fulfills his promises so anyway he promised you this land he promised Abraham Isaac and Jacob and then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear to him God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones out of this place he knew he was going to die there but he didn't want to be buried there forever when God brings you out of this place swear to me you'll take my bones with you on the way out it's interesting that he didn't make them 
do it right away because that's what Jacob did. But so I did. So anyway, Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. The end. All right, that is the book of Genesis. You've just now read the entire book of Genesis. Okay, the beginnings, the book of the beginnings. Where do we come from? How do we get here? Now, I told you I felt very uh, uh, impressed to continue the journey. And we're going to continue the journey. And we're going to pick it right up. The next book, we are now in the book of Exodus. Uh, We will not, however, be doing the entire book of Exodus while Genesis at least stayed entertaining pretty much all the way through. At some point, uh, Exodus gets rather tedious as they go to the rules and the laws and all the stuff with the laws of Moses and what they could do and what they couldn't do and Ho Chi Mama and, you know, oh, there's uh, some bizarre stuff. I might read some of the really weird, funny ones. But uh, beyond, beyond that, we won't get into it all. But, uh, and then there's uh, Leviticus and, and Numbers. If you're having a hard time falling asleep at night, read those two books. And uh, that'll, that'll, that'll help you right along. Who needs drugs when you got that stuff? Uh, and, then, and then Deuteronomy kind of gets... Uh, uh, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, Joshua... It's kind of cool. The story picks up from there and, and gets real cool again. But uh, anyway, this, this, this is the laws of Moses. It's, it's really these four books. That's really the, the, the bulk of the law of Moses, the, the Jewish law that, you know, we talk about, you know, they can't eat this and they can't do this and they can't work on certain days and stuff. But it, that's, that's just a piece of it. That's a sliver of all of this. Very detailed, very detailed. This, this was a burden to them uh, that uh, when Jesus finally was raised from the dead and the Holy Spirit came and the word went out, look, we don't have to live by this anymore. God's spirit is in us. He kept this on us, he said, to keep us in line until Jesus came and the spirit would guide and lead us. And uh, that's why we don't live by the uh, Old Testament law anymore. Anyway. So there we have it. So let's pick it up now. They, these are the names. This is Exodus. These are the names of the son of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, uh, Gad, and Asher. There you got your 12 tribes of Israel. The descendants of Jacob numbered 77 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And became exceedingly numerous. These people were multiplying like rabbits. So that the land was filled with them. It was God's blessing on them. And indeed they thought of it in those terms. That entire culture at that time in the world. People thought the most fabulous blessing a man can experience is many, 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 many children. Sadly we're so far from that today. People actually look at children as an inconvenience and a burden. And uh, we tolerate them and uh, really limit sizes of family. We're convinced, everybody's convinced there's too many people in the world. That is not, in fact, the case. There's too many people living in certain parts of the world. That's a fact. The problem isn't that the world is overpopulated. It's that everybody wants to live on the same spot. That's the problem. Okay? If you doubt that, I'll come take you for a ride in my airplane. And watch for how many miles you can look and look and look. And there ain't jack squat. And nobody there. That's in America. I mean, so anyway, it's just a difference in, 
in thinking. They considered it a great blessing. And when God was blessing people, one of the signs was they would have lots of children. And they did. And they had a whole yo mama bunch of them. And uh, the land was filled with them. Well, that says then a new king. Now, notice we don't use phrases here as we learned earlier and historically that this was hundreds of years, 400 years. Uh, that, that's one of the challenges I've, I've told you before. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think all this stuff just happened right away. You've got to put it in the time. There were some huge spans of time sometimes in, in some of these accounts. Uh, but anyway, so anyway, a new king, verse 8, who did not know about Joseph. How could he not know about Joseph? Because this is a long time later. Didn't know about Joseph. Came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too much, too numerous from us for us. They're like cockroaches. They're everywhere. And remember, they did not uh, intentionally, Joseph said, make sure that you say you're shepherds and stuff when you come because the Egyptians don't like shepherds. They, they intentionally wanted a separation. Well, it worked keeping them separate, but they'd also, they despised those people. They were like, you know, just just above chickens and squirrels. They, they didn't really, they didn't think of them with much respect and they made them their slaves. And what initially was a blessing turned out to be just 400 years of a very, very, very difficult situation. And uh, anyway, so this guy's freaking out because he sees these Jews and they're just growing like crazy and there's so many of them. He says, oh my goodness gracious, come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, they could join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. We'd be doomed. We gotta do something about all these people. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pythium and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. And much of the uh, great cities of Egypt. And the, uh, uh, what do you call those things? Pyramids, thank you. <laughs> One educated person in the crowd. Those pyramid things. Uh, and also, we're built by the Jews. You know, thousands of years ago during this time of... Uh, of uh, uh, slavery but anyway so they oppressed them made slave made them build all these fam- fabulous cities and these pyramids and all this kind of stuff but the more they were oppressed the more they multiplied and spread so the egyptians came to dread the israelites good grief these people are horrible there's too many of them and they worked them ruthlessly they made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their hard labor. The Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, these girls who helped birth these children into the world, these uh, two of them were named Shifra and Pua. He says, look, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stool, if it's a boy, kill it. All right, but if it's a girl, you can let her live. But kill the boys. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. And they let the boys live. Well, then the king gets fried. And he calls them in and says, why have you done this? Why are you letting the boys live? And then they said, well, the Hebrew women, they're not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous. They give birth before we show up. They're just popping them out, man. Just boom, we get there, it's over with, you know. So God was kind to the midwives. Now, I don't know if that was really true or not. Now, there's, the, there's some argument that says that this, this was, in fact, the case. These women were so strong and so healthy uh, that they would pop a baby out in the morning. They'd be out in the fields in the afternoon. I mean, these were like hoochie mama girls. Don't mess with these ladies, all right? But they're just like, zing, they're going flying out, all right? Uh, or if they were just saying that to cover their butts because they didn't do what the Pharaoh said, uh, we don't know. 
but uh, anyway. So anyway, God was kind to the midwives because they, they didn't kill them. And, God, and, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God and did this, he gave them families of their own. A lot of times these midwives uh, couldn't have their own children. Uh, so God blessed them. Anybody blessed by God was having babies like rabbits. All right. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Listen, every boy that is born, you must throw it into the river Nile. But let every girl live. I mean, these guys were infanticide big time. Uh, they, you talk about, you know, today they would have been aborted. That's kind of certainly what they do in China. Same policy in China. If you have, what, is it more than one son? You know, they're killing the rest. Uh, it's, it's, quite, it's quite brutal. And just what China is doing today, that's what these guys did, only we, because we do it inside a... Uh, you know, sterile environment in a hospital, we think it's, it's not barbaric. It is barbaric. These guys didn't have that option, so what they do as soon as the baby was born, they just whip it and throw it in the river. Same net result. A couple of seconds doesn't make one right over the other one. It's both infanticide and it's, it's quite awful. So this is what they were doing. Now, a man of the house of Levi who married another Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch so it would float. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River there. And uh, his little sister stood at a distance to to kind of keep an eye and see what was going to happen. And obviously, you know, this is a horrible time. Everybody's under great stress. They're killing boys left and right. I'm, I'm sure this, Can you imagine? Can you imagine giving birth to a little baby boy and somebody rips it from you and kills it? These people are being brutalized by the Egyptians. And uh, so sister's kind of watching. Anyway, so Pharaoh's daughter shows up. And she went down to the Nile to take a bath. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank and she saw the basket among the reeds and, and sent her slave girl to get it. And she opened it up and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. Little baby crying. And this is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And she basically said, Can I keep it? Can I keep it? Can I please? Can I keep it? It's kind of like finding a puppy or something. And uh, apparently, uh, she was, it was, she got the green light. She could keep the little puppy, the little baby. Okay. Uh, then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter um, so the, the daughter the sister comes up and says uh, should I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you and she said yeah go do that and the girl went and got mom so check it out so here he, she's trying to protect this child finally can't hide him any longer because he's getting too big he's making too much noise and they know they're going to get caught they're putting him in here and all of a sudden now she goes and gets mom to come and nurse this baby they found they didn't know it was her baby it actually gets better than that and uh, uh pharaoh's daughter said to her take this baby and nurse him for me and i will pay you <laughs> so now that's jamming right there you know not only did she get to keep the baby she got paid to keep the baby and that's pretty honking cool you gotta admit that so that's that's cool so the, ba- the woman took the baby and nursed him uh and then when the child grew older and i'm sure it was very did you hear that? It's like a woodpecker from hell up there. Just, oh, what was that? <laughs> anyway, 
I'm sorry, I got the attention span of a fly. Uh, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, so the child grew older, and I'm sure it was very painful for her, but then she had to come and give the boy back to Pharaoh's daughter. And, uh, but uh, she had to be thrilled. I mean, this was a win. First of all, she got to keep the, the little guy for, we don't know how long, and at some point she had to go finally give it back, probably after he was weaned and didn't need to be nursed anymore. So he's still very little when she gave him up, but he was alive. Thank God he was alive. And so Pharaoh's daughter takes her, takes him, and he became her son. Now, we don't know why the thing. Maybe she was unable to have children. We don't know. Maybe that's why they okayed for her to keep the little rascal. Uh, who knows how God was working here. But she takes this little boy and names it her, and calls it her son. And she gives him the name Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Because the word Moses means draw out. Now, one day after Moses had grown up. Now, if you are to uh, see a lot of the movies about this kind of stuff or the Disney film and stuff like that, you get all this cool picture of Moses growing up in the castle and the Pharaoh and all this kind of stuff. They're just making that up. Nobody knows what happened. We go from there to boom, he's a grown man. That's all we know about Moses. Obviously, you can fill in the blanks. He was raised as the daughter of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's grandson in a sense. Um, she was able to keep him, call it her son. He was probably raised in, in, a, in a place of honor and, and comfort and luxury. Uh, what that was like for him growing all those years, we don't know. All we know is one day after Moses had grown up, just like that, baby to big guy. So one day he went out to where his own people were. Now at some point he had to realize who he was. And I don't know if Pharaoh's daughter told him. Because remember, she knew he was a, uh, a, a Jewish boy. She knew it. So I don't know if she told him at some point. Or but anyway, at this point, or, or maybe he just looked so much different than the other uh, Egyptians and, and figured it out. I, we don't know, but he knows who he is. And he goes to where his own people are. So he goes out to where the other Jews are. Obviously, totally two different scenarios. So you got the one bunch of Jews. They're slaves. Then you've got this guy who's been living in the lap of luxury and in favor all his life. And in his heart, in his heart, he wanted to defend the people. That was what was in his heart. God clearly had put this in his heart. For we know eventually God uses Moses to set the people free and to deliver the people. But as is often the case, we act prematurely and we jump the gun and we go and move too quickly. Oftentimes God will speak to someone about doing something, about accomplishing something and and just in a hurry, in our own strength. Well, well, I know God's put it in my heart to do such and such. So we just jump in it right away. Uh, sometimes uh, unadvisedly. But we won't listen to anybody. And we're going to be smart and on our own. And uh, it didn't turn out well for him. So here he goes back to their people. And he sees them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. One of his own people. Which really hacked him off. So glancing this way and that. That would be. And seeing nobody, he kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. Well, yeehaw, I did something. It's a good thing. 
he was being unfair and I, something in me says I gotta act I gotta deliver these people and he kills this guy buries him in the sand the next day he comes along and he sees two Hebrews fighting two brothers fighting their Jews fellow Jews thinking hell these guys are gonna like me you know I'm look what I did for them and he asks the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Why, why are you guys fighting? Why, what's this all about? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me like you killed that Egyptian? Oh, now Moses freaks. And he thought, what I did must have become known. He looked this way in that. <laughs> Didn't think anybody was there. Apparently, somebody saw him, put him in the sand, waiting for the kitties to dig him up. All right, so now he freaks out. So when Pharaoh heard of it, so apparently the word spread, then he tried to kill Moses because Moses had committed murder. Straight up. Think of it from, from the Pharaoh's thing. You know, all of a sudden you, you kill him. You, why are you killing an Egyptian? Because he's beating up on a Jew. Who cares? They're all like cockroaches to them. They don't care. You can't just kill people. So he's now in big trouble. And then Moses fled from Pharaoh. And went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Now check this out. Here he is, lap of luxury. House of Pharaoh. He acts prematurely, acts unwisely because something in him says defend the people. And now he's out on the backside of the desert running for his life. And we're about to read a little bit about his life here. He basically winds up on the backside of the desert for 40 years 40 years I don't know man I've been trusting God I've been praying about this thing for a year and a half I don't know what's going on 40 years so I'm too old I'm too old I made too many mistakes in my life too late in life I I should have acted earlier 40 years before God could use the guy so, you know, don't be discouraged that things, you know, I don't think it's going to take 40 years for God to use you. I'm not, I'm implying that. I'm just saying, you know, who knows what, how long it is before the dreams that are inside you become a reality. Don't get frustrated. Give up on your dreams. Look at Joseph. 13 years living in hell, he never gave up on his dream. And in a day, he goes from a dungeon to the second most powerful man in the world. 13 years is a long time. Look at Moses. 40 years living in Toiletsville. All right, out in the desert, just living his life humbly, working hard for a living, something he wasn't used to doing before God turns around and opens up the doors of opportunity for him. Um, Why these kind of things happen over and over again in people's lives, I don't know. I I relate to this because this really happened in my life. You know, when I first got saved, when I first asked Jesus Christ in my life, somehow, instantaneously, because you're a kid, you're 16 years old, you're thinking, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Instantaneously, somehow I knew in my heart that I would be pastoring and ministering to people. I could see the picture on the side of me. I could just see it. I I don't know how to explain it. I didn't even know anything about anything, but I knew that picture. And as a young man, I quick got involved in ministry. Initially, my wife and I would travel all over the United States and Europe for five years. Hippies for Jesus, basically. <laughs> Our first house was an 8 by 10 tent. I kid you not. That's what we lived in for the first year of our lives. 
You say, was it, was it always warm? Nope. There were days we'd have to take a candle and melt the ice off the zipper so we could open it up to get out. I kid you not. Going, you know, potty was a real drag, you know. Um, but we all lived that way. It was, it was just the times, this is like just the early 70s, and we were just hippies for Jesus, you know, just traveling all over the place. And then we moved up to a, to a trailer about the size of a quarter. And uh, <laughs> we, lived, we lived in that for a while. And just, yeah, for five years, we eventually wound up in a, in a Greyhound bus, which is pretty nice by that time. But, uh, you know, just kind of working our way up the ladder. But uh, um, very simply, got involved in ministry. And, man, I just had this fire and this passion. To want to preach and minister to people. Preach and minister. Preach and minister. But nobody really wanted to listen to what I had to say. You know. And, I, and arguably, I had to be incredibly obnoxious. You know. If, I, if I'm this obnoxious at 53. My birthday, by the way, is next Wednesday. American Express MasterCard. So we take all those things. But uh, um, next Wednesday, I'll be, I'll be 54. But I mean, you know, I'm... You know, I'm kind of in your face now. You can imagine when I was 21, what a sweetheart I had to be. You know, I just, ah, in everybody's face. And I wasn't killing Egyptians, but just about, you know. And uh, nobody wanted to hear what I had to say. And I struggled, and I struggled, and I struggled. And I was miserable. And for 10 years, I struggled. And I finally gave up and said, this is not working for me. And so we got out of ministry. And uh, we didn't get, we didn't leave the church or anything. We stayed very active in the church. And I was uh, doing what Jimmy was doing tonight. I was the piano player. And, uh, and I did that. And we started our own business. And we raised our kids for 17 years. And just doing what you guys do. Sitting in the pews and, and being a part of the church and volunteering and getting involved and all that kind of stuff. And I just honestly thought, I thought maybe someday the closest that picture would come to is uh, in my retirement years, I'd be playing the piano for some evangelist on the road. Really, honestly, I mean, I thought that because I just thought that initial dream probably would never come true. And for what has happened in my life over the last seven years is a ride I cannot begin to explain to you. Uh, And only after total surrender, I remember standing in Phoenix, Arizona, tears running down my face all by myself out in the middle of nowhere. And I felt like such a failure. I felt, God, what have I done? The last 17, almost 20 years of my life, I wasted it. I did, I, I just, you know, not, I knew that God had something special for me, but I got frustrated and I just, you know, I just, I was far from where I, I knew I should have been. And I was convinced it was too late for me. But I remember standing there, just tears running down my face saying, God, you know, it's okay. Just whatever, just use me in any way you can at this point. And, uh, and, and, and more than anything, make me usable. You know, a lot of times we pray, God, use me. God, use me. Do something with my life. And in reality, God wants to do that. It's just we keep getting in the way. It's not that God uh, doesn't want to use us. It's so unusable at times. And I certainly was in that category. And uh, had all kinds of baggage. And I remember just totally surrendering it, thinking, I'm laying this down. And it's okay. And wiped away the tears and... Just went on with my life. And from that day forward, boom, things started changing for me. And uh, to where I'm here just seven years later. But God has done such a miracle in my life. I feel like Moses, if you will. I'm not quite as old as Moses. It didn't quite take 40 years. But it took a while for me to experience what I'm seeing here tonight. This is a picture of what I saw inside of my heart 
37 years ago. It just took a while to get there, you know, and that's okay. You know, just because it doesn't happen as quickly as we think, don't get discouraged. God will bring apart, bring about the dreams in us if we will be faithful to hang in there and trust him in, in all of this. So anyway, now next week when we come back, we're going to pick it up here uh, at verse 16. And we're going to read what happens to Moses uh, here. And it's just a few verses. It talks about his life when he's stuck out in the middle of nowhere. And then one day God shows up. The guy's at least in his 60s. Uh, and God starts to tell him, I want you to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let go of my people. And, and it's amazing because when Moses was young, he was pretty arrogant about it. But now as an older man, he's thinking he wasn't so arrogant anymore. He thought, I can't do that. Who's going to listen to me? And God said, you don't worry about it. I'll take care of the details. And we're about to read one of the most amazing demonstrations of the power of God ever in the history of the world. What God does in kicking the butts of the Egyptians until they let the people go is amazing and astonishing. But what's even more astonishing as we read in this story is you will find out to your shock and horror that after God showed up in an incredible way and did stuff that you and I had paid big money to see. I mean, these guys were seeing miracles left and right. During the day, this gigantic pillar of fire, a big, big cloud would follow them. And then at night, it turned into a pillar of fire. I mean, just, they, God was with them everywhere. They didn't have to work every morning. They just wake up and there was bread on the ground. Sweet tasting bread. It's called manna from heaven. Moses would speak to rocks and water would come rushing out and take care of them. And in that, you would think, man, don't you think sometimes, boy, if God would just show up and do all these cool miracles, everybody would believe. Why doesn't God do that? Because they won't believe. It's not about seeing here, it's about seeing here. And these people saw everything you and I wish we could ever see. And they still would not believe it is astonishing and amazing as we read the story of the children of israel as they wander about the desert and finally get to the promised land it's that there's a lot of great lessons of faith as we get into this stuff so it'll be it'll be really good stuff all right thanks for being with us i'm gonna invite our ushers to come forward and get ready to take our evening offering and our musicians can come back and get ready to play our final song We appreciate your continued support of the work of God. By the way, we had just a fabulous response from our cards on uh, on Sunday. Almost met our target, just just shy of the target. I mean, that was great. You guys really stepped up. If you didn't get a chance to fill out one of those cards yet for the next year of of helping us uh, to expand uh, our ministries, uh, you can still do that over the next couple of weeks and stuff. But uh, anyway, God is doing great things, and it's so exciting to see what, what the Lord has been doing in our lives as we continue to stretch out and reach out and trust him. Father, we thank you for your blessings, your kindness. Lord, bless these gifts that we give into your kingdom. Lord, we are so grateful for the way you have blessed our lives. Many of us, Lord, have been blessed way beyond what any of us deserve. But God, you love us, and you're faithful in taking care and showing your favor upon your children lord help us to be careful to honor you and not to forget you god in the midst of the blessings that you give us 
Use these finances, we pray, for the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.